You're listening to a Mash Those Buttons podcast, brought to you ad-free with the support of our patrons. Visit mashthosebuttons.com or stay tuned after the show for more details. Hey, Nick here. Real quickly, I just want to say this week we are going to talk about three stories from uh, Folk and Fairy Tales of Azeroth. The first is Sister is Another Word for Always by Catherine M. Valente. The second is The Paladin's Beast by Madeline Rowe. And the third is For Lies and Liberty by E.C. Myers. So uh, enjoy. Welcome to the Torn and the Goblin, a Mash Those Buttons podcast about Warcraft story and lore. My name is Nick Zelenkevich, and I'm Gragthar, Torn Hunter on Skywall US. And I'm Katie, Flanker Goblin Resto Shaman on Earth and Ring US. And today is June 24th, 2021, and this is episode number 128. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and I think we're going to wind up doing this as a trilogy, the way we talked about this, because it, it, it seems to work out very well that we can do about four stories an hour. Yeah, like I don't want to rush through any of them, but I feel like doing them at like four set intervals kind of gives them all their due diligence and enough time to actually dig into them. So, Well, the plan is to get through four here, but I feel like what we're going to start off with here, and I should probably, just for those who maybe didn't hear last episode, uh, we're talking about the uh, Folk and Fairy Tales of Azeroth book. Yes. Uh, so we did the first four stories last time. We're planning on doing the next four stories here. The problem with that is that these are the meatiest stories. Uh, this is you know, true. So, I, I mean, you could easily spend, I think, an entire episode just talking about sisters. I think so. It was. I don't want to say it wasn't my favorite. I The way it was written was really different than the rest of them, but it was still really good. Well, um, it good. was different. Because it's not a folk tale or no. fairy tale. It's not. I, I meant like the, the physical, well, the actual way it was written. Well, like, yes, 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 yes. But it was more like Tolkien. So like some of the ones that we have been reading previously had a very different feel. Because as you said, they were more fairy tales. Like they yes. felt like it was a full tale. This one felt like it was, all, they spent a lot of time on a lot of descriptions, which felt like it took, it kind of. Bouncing me back and forth between like the story and then just feeling like it was over descriptive in some well, things. And I don't know. I feel like a lot of descriptions on this one. Uh, and, and to be clear, this is the, uh, Aler- yes. not Aleria, uh, Varisa. Varisa goes, mm-hmm. uh, into the mod to, to go after Sylvanas story. Yes. Just which, to be clear that that's what we're talking about. Yes. It, and they don't really explicitly say that. No. But it's and, very but that's, obvious. That's why, I, that's the point I was making though, is that. The reason it's so descriptive is because it's told from Varisa's point of view, and Varisa right. has none of the terminology for this. She yes. wasn't at BlizzCon when Ian sat there and put up all the things like, this is what you're going to see in the Maw, and this is all the <laughs> Like, Varisa has none of that knowledge. So right. in order for it to be conveyed to the player who has that knowledge and has that experience, they can't just say, like, and now she's in the Maw. They have to be like, well, now she's in this land of rocks and, and screaming yeah. and terror, and you're like, oh, okay, that's the Maw. She's calling her mount, and it's not responding. I know what that's like. Yeah, I was going to say the the description of the Ma was one of my favorite parts of the story, if I'm being honest. Like, they did a really good job 
imposing what it feels like when your character gets thrown into the maw the first time. Like, right. I know a lot of people that get thrown into the maw are like, oh, this is just really annoying, but I'm like doing all the RP stuff. I'm like, oh, like the river of souls and all the shrieking. And I was like, this is cool. Like, they're doing such a good job really bringing that to life in the story. Uh, and telling, like, I think this is the, the first time account we've ever had of someone being thrown into the maw without knowing where they're going or what it is. Oh. Um, as far as I can oh, well, uh, someone, someone being thrown into the mall while still technically alive, let's say. Yes. And she's also uh, voluntarily going. I shouldn't say she was thrown in. She wasn't well, against her well, will. One, I just want to go back and say that, no, she did not actually summon her mount. That was supposed to be a joke. I don't want anybody to correct me. Like, she didn't do that in the story. But anyway, moving on. Um, no, the thing is, again, this is, this is one of those things where we we're told like, you know, like no one ever leaves the mall. No one ever escapes the mall. And now it's like, we have another instance of someone at some point, uh, having been to the mall admittedly through unusual means mm-hmm. and then just casually getting back out. And it, it, it really, I mean, as much as being the mall walker amongst mall walkers will make you not feel special, but yeah, now it's well. just like, oh, so Varisa did it too. And, and kind of technically Sylvanas did it once. And, you know, it's, and, you know, then we have the, the forsworn that are like, it's okay. Okay. Like, yeah. So apparently like getting in and out of the mall, it's, 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 uh, it's not nearly as difficult as they make it sound. I don't know. Like I'd say for like the standard person or soul that enters the mall, you're pretty damned. Like you're probably not getting back out without external help. Um, as far as getting into the mall, so like, I always wonder if getting into the mall is much different than getting out. Like, so Getting in is a lot easier and getting out is a lot harder. So you have to have a very specific exit method, which Verisa had in this specific instance. Um, I I guess the question I have is, was she physically in the mall or was it just like she went astrally projected projected in there kind of thing? So that's interesting because they so how this story is written, it's not. It's hard for me to kind of explain it. It's much more poetic than the other stories, So it doesn't deal in like necessarily like really concrete specifics like they talk about things in analogies a lot uh, and there's a lot of very flowery language when they go to describe things it makes it that's one of the reasons where it's like i like the story but the the i don't know the style was different and so it was harder for me to be like okay parsing things out here but um they do they never make it clear if she does physically it seems like she's alive and that she physically enters because she actually winds up meeting the jailer down there. Uh, and he's like, well, you're alive. You need a GTFO. But that, again, could be an astral projection where but, he's like, you're not a physical soul here. What are you doing? Well, see, the, the thing about the meeting with the jailer is that I, I, I feel like, especially given how the entire encounter plays out, mm-hmm. it feels like he wanted her there. Like, the, like he, she wouldn't have been there if he didn't allow it. This is true. Like, I kind of wonder if that's, well, I don't know if that's true of the Jailer all the time, but like, in this specific instance, it felt very guided, at least how yes. the story unfolds it. I would agree with that. And I mean, it, I, I suppose it is possible that he, you know, didn't know who she was. Then once he found out who she was, he's like, oh, okay, you know, you're, you're the sister of this soul that I'm working to manipulate. Let me go ahead and, and do that. The... I want to go back for a minute because I said this isn't really a, a fairy tale or a folk story. It's 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 Verisa telling the story, and I feel like in all the other instances, you either have very generic narrators or 
Like, like, you know, even if it's a, a like, even in the case of the Volpira story, it's, where it's a very specific Volpira telling the story, it's still, it, it's sort of a, a, you know, it's not like a well-known Volpira. So it could be like, oh, okay, like now I'm going to recount this tale of this Volpira. You know, like, like again, this, this feels like the kind of story you hear at a tavern. Yes. This but one was very different from that. This one is like, no, like, you know, Illyria, call, or, I'm sorry, I keep saying Illyria, it's Verisa. Uh, Verisa calls you up, you know, like calls you up like the next day and she's like, Hey, I had the weirdest dream last night. Let me tell you about it. Like, this isn't the kind of thing where I don't know. I keep thinking of uh Sandman, uh, world's end where like the, you know, for, it's a, uh, in the comic book, like there's a tavern sort of out of time and, and place that everybody kind of winds up at at some point. And there's just these endless tables and like a whole bunch of just random characters from various universes, basically all just kind of meeting and intermingling and telling stories of you know, from their lifetimes. Uh, and that's what the, the, the book is. It's a collection of these stories. And it feels like, that's what this book feels like is like, I could imagine a tavern somewhere, not like the Hearthstone Tavern, where you have a bunch of different characters. You have a Tuscar and a Volpira and, uh, you know, a Forsaken as we'll get to, um, you know, all sitting there, like telling like these stories, kind of like the stories of their people in a way. Mm -hmm. And this one doesn't fit. Like this one feels like the only way this works is if, if, Varisa is at that table very specifically and they're like, well, what's your story? And she recounts it. And it, it feels like it was put in there just because I, I, I almost, it almost feels like this, this should have gone up on like the website or something like this would have been like, you know, hype for 9.1 or, or something like that. And they were like, Oh, well, we're putting this book out and we, we've commissioned this short story. Let's put this in here. Like it, it, I mean, technically it's a, it's a story, but like, I don't imagine this being like told from generation to generation, uh, right. you know, amongst the citizens of Azeroth, the same way I do the other stories that, you know, you can imagine, you know, like, you know, like a family sitting around like a fire or something at night and a father telling his son or a mother telling, you know, their children, you know, that, that kind of story. It's not, this, this doesn't ring the same way. It doesn't right. have a lesson like most of the stories do. It doesn't have like, you know, like the first one, I'd say the Tuscar is like perseverance and the Volpira is the warning to like follow your ancestors' tra tra traditions and so on and so forth. This one has none of that. Like, yeah, as you say, it's like Verisa is telling a story, but it's like through, I don't know, I don't know, I wouldn't call it prose necessarily, but it's, it's very flowery and it's like the, the language is very descriptive. Like, I'd almost say it's almost like token-esque like where they spend a lot of time describing things right but also doing a good job kind of setting the stage so i think that's one of the reasons where it like initially it it felt as you say it was very it felt that very out of place because none of the other stories are written in this manner that i've read so far uh and it, it was really good though like you immediately know who's talking about what like they um in the beginning Alaria talks about how she could feel when sylvanas was killed uh, and they have a little short story within it, like her memory of her and Sylvanas when they were little, and they caught a little like stream trout. And um, a lot of these kind of little grains keep going through the story with, um, uh, I want to say Alaria. Um, it's Verisa. I know. I, I know. <laughs> you keep doing that to me. Because, <laughs> I mean, we, t we spent an entire patch talking about Alaria, so it's really hard not to want to say Alaria. Verisa, um, which. For any of you listening that you didn't know, Verisa is the youngest of the Windrunner sisters. So we have Illyria, Sylvanas, and Verisa, I believe is the age order. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, where was I going with this? So I guess like to sum it up to where we are and what we're talking about is um, Verisa is completely heartbroken. Like They spend a long amount of time 
talking about how after Sylvanas has passed, like, you know, she's like, ah, oh, my, my chest feels like it has a hole in it. It feels like I'm broken uh, because she loved Sylvanas immensely. You can tell from just how it's written. Um, who, who else do we know with a chest hole, by the way? Exactly. We're getting to that. We're getting to that. Cause they actually bring that up. And I was like, right. hold they, on a minute. They hold do. They do, minute. don't they? Yes. So Verisa winds up taking this journey and it, she winds up going to this mountain summit that has two elven statues on it. And she always refers to Sylvanas as the sister of courage. And she is the sister of sorrow. I believe if I remember correctly. One question that I have one, the way they describe the, the, the mountaintop and the altar where, where they get to. And I think we'll, we'll go into that in a moment here, but the way they describe that, that feels like somewhere we need to go in game. Yeah. That doesn't, it, this doesn't feel like some random thing that they made up for this story. And like, we're just no. going to leave it behind. Like, and it could be, this could just be a testament to the author who I should probably po- point out her, her name here. It was, uh, uh C- Catherine M. Valente. Mm-hmm. It, but it does very much feel like now that you say that this would be an excellent opportunity to tie that in and be like ah oh, yes this is like another way you could get into the shadowlands so if something happens right. in the future and we are cut off from the shadowlands or we're unable to get back into the maw this could be a back door and then we could go to verisa and say verisa she's like i can get you into the shadowlands i know a way so right. That would be great. That would be such a cool storytelling mechanism if they decided to do that. Um, I don't want to say I'm skeptical because I would love to see well, this, but. Well, the thing is, I mean, beyond 9.1 and really beyond yeah. just the what we know about 9.1, we really have no idea where the story's going. No, we don't. Um, but <laughs> I don't. It, but, for the, but for the amount of detail that they put into creating that setting, and I, I mean the fact that they even commissioned a picture of it in the book. Yeah. It feel This feels like somewhere that needs to exist in game and we should, like, it, it'll. Well, it, I got the impression, was it in winter spring or, or like, I don't know. They just talked know. about it being on a mountain and that it was like a, a snow peaked mountain. Right. So right. I think that's why I thought winter spring. I feasibly, I feel like it could be almost anywhere because, and I don't want to, you know, there's a lot of mountains in Azeroth that we haven't necessarily traversed that may or may not have snow on them. Uh, that should, you know, like the, they had just talked about Verisa going on this very long journey from where she was at, which I think they were talking about um, how she was like tired of the war, which they don't mention which war, but it could well, be it would, several. Well, I think, well, I think it was that, the, the. It should be the third war. Third well, war I think. Well, see, well here's well, he, here's the, big, the other big question about this is when does it happen? Right. Well, it, I mean, canonically, it'll happen after Sylvanas dies, which. But. But, but I guess the question is, Verisa's we- weeping for her sister, yes. and she knows that she's dead. But yep. the thing is, Sylva- Sylvanas is never truly dead, right. because she's immediately turned into a banshee. But wait, wait. I believe her soul, much like Uther's, was split. Oh, no, no, no. no. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you on that. Okay, okay, okay. But I'm saying from, from Verisa's perspective. Yes. She she's not going to know that the souls split or whatever, and no, and, no, no. and we can we can get into that in a moment. But from Verisa's perspective, she's going to find out that her sister died, and then she's immediately going to find out oh she's dead and she's a banshee. So at no point does she have an opportunity to grieve for her that she's lost somewhere. She's only going to know like oh my sister is now a banshee and she's running around serving Arthas. Oh wait, now she's regained control of herself and got her body back, and now she's running around as the banshee queen. At what point, 
like at what point does she feel the need to go on an on a, on a quest for her sister's soul? Like she should always have some idea where her sister's soul is. She might not because like there was a period of time between when Sylvanas was turned into a banshee and when she got her physical body back. So this could be one of those things where she might like actually Allie in the chat was just pointing this out. She might not know that she was even a banshee initially. Like, when the soul gets ripped out, like, people might not be like, ah, that's clearly Sylvanas, like, and how many people are around that will even see that, right? Like, people saw her die, and then they were, what? presumably, if anyone survived, they were fleeing. Um, so people might just be like, oh, we found Sylvanas's body, like, she's dead, you know, af- well, in the aftermath of the scourge. They wouldn't have found her body, though, because Arthas had taken That's right, it. I think he takes it, yeah. So she, well, would, she, would, she would just know that her sister was lost. Yeah, well, presumably dead. Uh, especially when they're like, yeah, there was no one that was left alive after that, really. Um, it, it is interesting to figure out like how the news got back to her. Um, I, we don't know where, I don't think we know where she is at when um, Sylvanas falls. They do mention that she's far away, though. Right. She's not anywhere nearby. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to think about. Like, she knows because she can feel it, supposedly. That's what the story implies, is that when Sylvanas falls, she knows immediately that her sister has died. Uh, so maybe she doesn't need the news. Uh, and maybe she doesn't get the Banshee news till after her Shadowlands, uh, I don't know, ex- exploration. Um, because, again, we don't know exactly when this takes place, but I would guess it has to be... I mean, Sylvanas might have even been resurrected into her body whilst uh Verisa's in the Shadowlands. Like we don't right. entirely know it. I don't know that the, the lineup matters that much because Verisa is going to look for a shard of Sylvanas, which they make very clear in the story that this is not her whole soul. This is a piece and it's a fragment. Uh which is interesting in itself well, that that was confirmed. <laughs> well what's interesting um is that they call the fragment courage. And as as you said yes. that that you know Verisa describes herself as the sister of sorrow and Syl- Sylvanas is the, the sister of courage. Um, but it's also interesting because no one is named throughout the piece yes, that, you know, just a- as, as much as, you know, we talked earlier about Verisa not knowing where she was or not only being able to describe things to give us the, the, the reader and player who knows all these things, you know, in order to, to accurately let us know what she's talking about. They go so far as to not name anybody, even the actual characters who should be named. Right. Which is really cool. So like, I guess this was one of those where you have to know a lot about the characters to infer who they are like i i don't know i feel like most people could take a pretty good stab at least at sylvanas and the jailer uh if not a lot of people are familiar with Verisa, that might be a little weirder but um but yeah i thought that was really interesting that they don't name anyone at all like you i think i don't think the spirit, I don't know. The, well, they, the they named, they, yeah the, the, uh, was it elorian or something uh something yeah something like that I, yeah I but, yeah they, um, they named the the spirit healer which i don't believe Which, we've encountered have we no encountered? but again that makes me think that again because the sp- spirit healer is at this place that is very well described with these two statues and they point out that the spirit healer looks exactly like one of the statues so clearly there's a, a connection here um you know it makes me think like i almost wonder like could this be like a, a raid boss in like 9.2 or, or you know you know you know god willing a 9.3 something <laughs> <laughs> No, you're you're right. Cause like, uh, Ilomia. Ilomia, yes. Ilomia, okay. Um, yeah. So it was interesting that she was named. Now that you say that, um, and that 
as you said, there was a monument that was very specific, which does in in reflection make me think that we might go there. Well, uh, and that they could use it as another entrance to the Shadowland if right. something goes sideways. No, the the one thing about the monument is it's it's uh, there's two sisters. Well, uh, I should say two women. I don't think they're clearly are they are they clearly marked as sisters. I don't think their identities are, are very specific. It's just two women sitting back to back. One is has her head down. Uh, you know, it's like s- despair. Sitting, uh, sorrow. Was it? Uh, no, it was regret. 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 Yep. And then, and, and she the and she's supposed to be like right. reaching out, like her her arm is kind of ha- hanging off her knee, like reaching out towards the graves. And then the other one is looking up with like a, a face of determination towards the east, and that's acceptance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And acceptance is the one that uh, was it Elonia we said, Eloria, mm-hmm. Elonia, um, uh, Elonia. Uh, that's the that's the one that looks like the spirit healer. But the thing is, we don't we can't see the face of the one. We can't see the face of regret. Because her right. fa- her face is down between, kind of you know, in her hands, between her her knees, and so it's possible that they could all be the same person. That you know, you go from regret to acceptance, right. and then you become a Kyrian and you come back, and there you watch over the place where you <laughs> had all this trauma. So, and you can't remember any of it because they wiped your mind. <laughs> well, I mean, they do make an interesting point of talking about how the spirit healer is blind, which is kind of. That was a cool little nod in there where they're like, yeah, yes, well, because I'm blind, I don't have bias anymore. Uh, that's more or less what you said, I think. Right. I'm paraphrasing a bit because that was a good good well, chunk there, but... I wonder... See, I don't, see, now I wonder about this because it seems awfully convenient for a Kyrian to wind up back at some place that clearly has sentiment to them. And that they should not know anything about that place, except they're there. And well, so I don't know because I'm like spirit healers. Like, are they attached to certain places for reasons? Because I mean, like, that's probably a whole thing we need to unravel in another. <laughs> but but no, but but it's all the Kyrian get their their minds wiped. I don't think any of the Kyrian get. That's the whole. That's the whole problem that, that the Forsworn have is that you know you gotta you know you gotta give up your memories to keep going, and they don't want to do that. So. Like, is the Kyrian just sitting there, like, wondering, like, why does this statue look like me? Does the Kyrian, because they're blind, do they even know what they look like? Well, okay, they, they should at least be able to feel their face and then feel the face of the statue at some point. I can't imagine they just sit there, like, for thousands of years and never think, like, let me let me f- find out what's around me. Like, I don't know. I What I'm trying to get at in a very roundabout way here is, is, is this Kyrian possibly working for the jailer? Is this actually a, a legitimate spirit watcher who's there? Of her, you know, like doing what she's supposed to be doing, or is she there because the jailer wanted her there, and that's what makes this kind of special that we've got a rogue, uh, you know, possibly a forsworn, and her job is to ferry people to the maw, and it's like okay, now she's got Verisa here, and and again going back to the, you know the jailer possibly wanting Verisa there to make the point that he's about to make, or am I am I am I reaching too much here? I think so. What I guess the other thing I didn't. I was trying to reread that to see if I could find it. I didn't remember then that her that she looked like the uh the statues. For some reason I just thought that that I, the statues looked like uh vaguely like Sylvanas. Uh, they, well, they're, well, they're that, night elf that, statues, but yes. maybe she was a night elf and, as well, so well, I mean and that's well that's the problem is especially especially the regret because you can't see her face. She's got right, the hood, right. she's got the ears, you know, she's got like the little curly cue in the in the shoulder armor there. It all kinda 
you know, it, it, it looks like it could be one of the Windrunner sisters. Uh, but it also, it, it, it seems to imply that this, you know, that this one, that this Kyrian was once a high elf, um, but also that there's, there's a history here, but there's a history to Elonia that we need to have explained it. Well, I guess we shouldn't say we need, but now I'm curious about that. Like how, how did, how did this all come about? Yeah. I don't know. Like, because the story was put in the center, like the exact, I think it's almost the exact center of folk and fairy tales. Like well, it's, it's five out of 12. Okay. It's, 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 it's very close to the middle. It's like, if you open the book, you're more likely to hit it than some of the other ones, but um, it's also rather long, which is, uh, I guess a, not in its favor, but it makes me think that, like you say, that this is going to be more important than just it being like a folktale or something in passing. Like this is this was here for a reason and in the middle for a reason. Like it wasn't the starting story because we're like, ah, that wouldn't feel like a folktale. Like they started with the Torin creation story, which felt like a good, really good spot to start. But this, this is right in the middle. This story was here so people like us would spend the better part of an hour talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, <laughs> that is what we do. <laughs> But uh, Alumia, I think I think you're right. I think hopefully we'll find out more about her. We might not, though. She might just be one of the mysteries that we never really find out more about. Uh, again, with the two statues. I mean, yeah, th- th- that feels like a, a good... This feels like something that they could very easily follow up on in-game and expand more of it. But at the same time, it, within the service of the story, it fits its role. Mm-hmm. And if we never get any more information or never find this little, uh, you know, the statues in-game, I mean, so be it. But... Yeah, I want to go there now. It looks like a cool place. I thought another thing that was interesting that Varisa brought up is that she knew what the spirit healer was because she's like, yeah, if anyone's ever been on the battlefield, like she knew what a spirit healer was almost like, oh, man, like, you know, people see them before they die, Um, which I know that that's canonical anyways, but I I thought that was cool that they brought it up within the spirit of the story to kind of, I don't know, reinforce that. Okay, see, now. I don't know when this happened because a player character couldn't look like a, like a high elf until 9.0. So she couldn't have gone to a spirit healer unless somebody was playing her in 9.0. So this couldn't have happened back during the third war. I'm just going to sigh really <laughs> loudly here and cough loudly and say game mechanics and separate that from the war bubble. <laughs> separate entities until they cross sometimes they they cross but most of the time they're separate sometimes sometimes Sometimes. next to the stretch the big old stretch all i do is stretch (laughs) 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 no so so let's jump ahead a little bit then so so she makes the deal Mm -hmm. with uh, the spirit healer to that she's allowed to go into the 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 shadowlands look for her sister um, but she can't touch her sister if she touches her sister that's very much like the, um, is it uh, Orpheus. Persephone? Orpheus, thank you. I was like, I knew there was one of the, the Greek tales about it. Uh, but yes, so in Orpheus, he can't look back. Uh, right. But in this case, uh, Varisa cannot touch right. her sister. So, uh, of course, that goes sideways because this is not a happy tale. But right. um, when she descends into the Shadowlands, that's what you were talking about earlier, is they spend a great amount of time really painting a vivid picture of how scary it is um which they did a good job with i thought because it was very accurate <laughs> looks like you have a passage no no i'm trying to, I, did she didn't did she go to bastion first or did she go right to the maw 
I thought she went right to the maw. I'm trying to remember. I thought she had gone right to the maw. Um, but I thought it was interesting that when she gets to the maw, she actually encounters the jailer, and he doesn't just like smite her. They they actually have dialogue together. Uh, and you know she's like, I'm trying to find. Actually, so when she's walking around in the maw to start, um, she she's asking people, "Have you seen courage?" Uh, and a lot of times, uh, she goes to Ardenweald. Oh, she does. Yeah, I don't remember that part. At least it sounds like Ardenweald. Yeah, I thought she uh, went straight to the maw. Uh, with thick, oh. soft grass rolled out before me, like the richest yeah, tapestry, that's right. And then, like, the banks of huge, twisting trees the, is wide around the fortress towers. Green the, fireflies the and great stag's eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then she gets into the mall. That's right. Because that's... Actually, yeah, that brings up an interesting question. That would probably be where Sylvanas would go, is Ardenweald. Like, right. that part I, of her soul. It, so that makes well, sense that it was part of well, the journey. I mean, I don't know. I could see that. Or it may be where Varisa will go, you know, is to Ardenweald. I think that's sort of like the default answer for elves, but then under... I feel like that's um, not fair. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, but, you know, like you know, barring any any special circumstance, um, like by mm-hmm. default, you would you would assume the Ardenwell. But yeah, but then she want then she winds up in the mall. Mm-hmm. Well, she talks about when, how Sylvanas would love this place. She's like, ah, yes, this would be the place Sylvanas would want to be is in this beautiful forest. That I, you're you're right. It's it's a very short segment, so I kind of, well, I can say for lack of a better, I kind of like forgot it happened because then there's so much description about the mall right after, but. Um, but yeah, she goes through Ardenweald and then they talk about like the, the ground like opening up and swallowing her. And um, that's when she goes to the Maw. Right. And then, yeah, that's when it's all rocky and, and screamy and <laughs> n- not fun. Yeah, well, and she, she goes around and talks to things in the Maw. Like she talks to the sky and she talks to the rocks and she's like, have you seen courage? And looking, the, they're all like, this is no place for courage. Like courage does not uh, dwell here. Yeah, so they they make a a big show of, I don't know, her trying to find Sylvanas's um, peace, if you will, her her soul peace. And I believe that's when she encounters the jailers after she's been looking for a while. Yeah, and she just describes him as like this big dude. (laughs) Yeah, this big dude with a hole in his chest, which right. It's interesting because then she's like, ah, yes, I understand what that's like. I also similarly have a hole in his, in my chest, uh, you know, from um, missing my my sister. I was trying to find the specific dialogue she had with the jailer because it was really good. Ah, yes. Um, let's see. I laid my head on my forearm and sighed. I had no strength left for me for awe or for fear. She's talking about when she met the jailer. I have a hole in my heart like that, I said gently. His glowing eyes burned expressionlessly into mine. Hot orange sparks from the millions of fires of the wasteland tumbled through the air, disappearing into the the chasm of his chest. Everyone does, he says slowly. It is only mine that is easy to see. Which I thought was really cool. I was like, aha, interesting. Um, It's like the jailer. He's actually like a a, a nice guy if you get to know him, right? (laughs) I mean... Especially how he talks about family later. Like, you know, he's like, family is only a title for those that can hurt you more piercingly than the rest. And I was like, 
Yeah, I was like, oh man, this guy this guy has a lot to unpack. Like, I think we need to go get him a couch and a therapist. Uh, I was going to say, like, have no therapists been sent to the mall in any recent history? Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> Presumably not, hopefully, because I feel like if a therapist got sent to the mall, then they weren't a very good therapist. Also true. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. I feel like a lot of people that go to the mall are not the type of people you want to sit and have drinks with. I mean, maybe if they're sent to the mall after Rivendreth, I don't know. That means they were so bad they got kicked out of Rivendreth, though. Yeah, that's, that's not great. <laughs> nope. So, so, uh, so, so, yeah, so she talks to him, and then she's like, I'm looking for my sister, Courage, and he's like, yeah, I can't, I can't really help you with that. And then he, like, as he's going off, he, like, kind of, like, like, kind of flashes, like, oh, what's this in my hand? Look at this. It's a little, it's a little flash of Courage. Look at that. And then he lets it go. And uh, Varisa chases it and manages to catch up with it. And then she's able to get it. And then it turns into a representation of Sylvanas. Right. Uh, and then they're like, okay, we got to get out of here. And they start running. And at that point, the jailer's like, yeah, no, this is, we're, we're just playing around. He's toying with them. Well, I was going to say, it's worth it to say that she doesn't actually like grab Sylvanas. She uses her cloak to like scoop right. her up, which is like, so she does, right. they keep in the, that she doesn't actually touch. Right. And this, and fragment. this is all set up earlier when uh, Varisa recounts when they were children that mm-hmm. Sylvanas would uh, pick fish out of the water and kind of hold them in her, in her hand. Uh, and, and, and there's even a little exchange about, is it magic? Uh, this feels like magic. No, it's love. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's even a little exchange that they kind of repeat uh, both times between the two of them. But yeah, but then, uh, yeah. So then, you know, that they're trying to run away and the jailer basically like swings at Sylvanas and then, uh, Varisa instinctively pushes Sylvanas out of the way or, or tries to catch Sylvanas after she got hit. And then mm-hmm. she, of course she's touching her now. And then, uh, the spirit healer is like, okay, deals up time to, you know, you don't get your sister time to go. Right. Um, yeah. And then Sylvanas even kind of admits like, no, I need to stay here. That's the rules of this place. Right. So, um, so what we get from this, I think one is we, we, the, the, the implication here, as you pointed out, is that Sylvanas's soul was split just like Uther's. Yes. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I think there's some information in 9.1 that kind of confirms that, um, uh, that, that Frostmourne, Frostmourne didn't just split these two, that there's, there's several souls, but even then we've seen instances before of like fragments of souls showing up all over the place. As I've said, uh, that souls are kind of jelly, like they're not, you know, they're not like one solid object uh, that, you know, like that they, they, do, they do tend to sort of break down and leave residue in a lot of places. Yeah. And we've actually seen that all over Warcraft. Like we find, I think there's even like soul, well, soul ash, but then there's like residue of souls, like you're saying, but we've, we've also found fragments of souls. I think there are fragments of souls in ICC, if I remember yeah, correctly. Well, there, there were frag- fragments of souls. I mean, even when we, as Death Knights, you go to claim... Mm-hmm. Frostmourne and the shards of Frostmourne and actually reforge it into the Blades of the Fallen Prince, there's still shards or, or still fragments of Nerzul and Arthas in the sword there. So, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't know if, it, I mean, they're, they're making a big deal about like, okay, Uther got split. Now it seems like Sylvanas got split. Um, but it feels like souls kind of split. If you look at them the wrong way all the time, we're like, I shouldn't even say split. Cause we think like, Oh, it's like a 50, 50 split. Cause you have that image of like Uther where it looks like two roughly, of the same size fragments going in two separate directions. But I mean, this could, this could be more like, you know, like take, you know, like a little tiny, like just a, a, a flick off. Um, because the thing is, I think a lot of people are reading this as the jailer has Sylvanas's courage. And so 
all that Sylvanas has done going back basically to Warcraft three, you know, when she became a Banshee, she lost her courage basically. So all, all that she's done since then has been a fragment of her acting that it hasn't been the whole. And, and, and the concern that people have is that this is their, their, their ticket to, to giving her redemption. Like, Oh, it wasn't, fully you doing all those evil things. And so now you're united and now you have your courage back and you, you would condemn your past actions and, and, and you can be redeemed. And I don't know if that's, it's, I don't think it's going to play out that way. I don't, I don't think so. Cause that, and now I'm probably going to shoot myself in the foot here, but in a way that seems almost a little too, not quite gimmicky, but it it feels like they're giving themselves too easy of an out with that sort of thing. Like the the transgressions that Sylvanas has wrought against the world of Azeroth are pretty severe. And like, even if like there are multiple shards of Sylvanas, which I'd also believe, because like I could see every time she dies, a new shard or fragment breaks off, which would actually explain some of her descent, if you will. Like Every time she dies, if like more of her soul breaks off and goes somewhere, uh, so there might be sorry many Sylvanas soul fragments. In fact, instead of just two, um, because they actually spend a good deal of time with her character talking about how the only thing she can feel now is rage. Right? She can't feel true sorrow. Like she she could feel sorrow. I think it was the um, War Crimes book where we kind of see that, and that's like kind of the last time, and she shuts herself down from that. Uh, because she wants to turn Verisa into a Forsaken, and Verisa refuses at the end. Um, but we kind of see Sylvanas lose more and more of her emotional range, and that kind of makes me wonder if, like, every time she dies and comes back, if she loses a little bit more of that touchstone of her soul, if it what she does have is either eroding away or there isn't much left. Well, I think, I mean, I think there's something to be said for her having lost certain emotions. Yes. Um, or, or maybe not be able to, to channel those emotions as well as she, she can other emotions. But courage is not the one that I would pick. Sylvanas, as she right. is now, is very courageous. It's evil. It is evil to, you know, t- take down Teldrassil. I will grant you that. But yep. it is also courageous. That is not something undertaken lightly. If she was yeah. if she was missing her courage, she would have been a coward and she would have been weak and she wouldn't be leading the Forsaken. She'd be cowering down in 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 Lordaeron somewhere. She wouldn't she wouldn't be in any position to have any power. So so, so I was just gonna say I, I have to agree, because that was the one of the things that struck me is like oops, if it was compassion, right? If they're like, oh yes, her compassion is gone, I'm like, absolutely, like that makes complete sense. But Courage is not the one I would have picked for this because Sylvanas is not afraid no. of anyone, as far as I know. Like, especially, I mean, she she faced down Garage. Like, right. she's not scared of anything. She, no, and and uh, I mean, I, um, I know you, except for you, death. You, you can make the argument. Maybe she's she's taking the less courageous of two choices. Like, maybe by um, and I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, what's the other? Cho- like, I, I don't. Okay, I don't know exactly how not starting a war in Ashenvale is the less courageous or the more courageous choice, but, um, she has have to face certain things, I guess. Yeah. That that she's, that she's acting out of desperation in a lot of these situations, but I I still feel like, like, no, like if she was missing her courage and she was, she just would not act. She would be completely cowed and, and somebody else would be leading the forsaken that, that the Sylvanas we have known is not missing her courage. And I, I don't know if, 
I don't know if the way this story is written, it's simply because this is written from Varisa's standpoint and to Varisa, Sylvanas is sort of a paragon of courage. And so that's what she, she considers it to be. You know, she says, I'm looking for courage. I'm looking for courage because Varisa in a way, uh, and even, even then Varisa, you know, I, 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 the problem is that Warcraft and especially the notable characters in Warcraft are all so heroic that they all embody courage at some point. Yes. And it's hard to even say like, oh, well, maybe Verisa feels like she's missing courage and that's why she espouses that on Sylvanas. But Verisa does plenty of courageous things. It's not yeah. like Verisa, I mean, as much as you might say like, oh, she's kind of the weakest of the three Windrunner sisters, she still has done a ton of stuff. That oh, yeah. It's not like she's a slouch. It's not like she's been cowering in, in Dalaran or wherever. Like, no, she's been out doing stuff too. So I, I think maybe this, I, I think maybe the, 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 the way this story is written and, and admittedly, the way the story is written is intentional. Like it's not just a matter of saying like, Oh, well, Verisa would look at her sister as courage. That's what they called her. But like, you know, the, the, when they were planning this story, they wanted Verisa to call her sister courage. And it makes mm-hmm. sense, but I don't, I, I have, I, I just have a problem believing that Sylvanas has been missing her courage. This whole, like the cowardly lion, like the cowardly lion would not lead the forsaken and would not have done anything that Sylvanas has done. And you can sit there and say, well, actually the courage was within him the whole time. Technically you're right. But, <laughs> but plus, I wasn't going to do that to you. <laughs> the, but the points, st- that's, I guess that's my point about Sylvanas. The courage has been within her the whole time too. Well, again, I have to go back to her missing emotions. So I'm wondering if like what they talk about over and over again, I'm going to see if I can pull up the exact wording while I do this um, is when she has the little fish in her hands, um, I believe they talk about like it's it's not magic, it's love, I think. It's something yes. similar to that. Um and so when they talk about her her courage, that makes me think instead of not that it's not courage, but all of the positive emotions are associated with that courage instead of boldness, uh or you could even I wouldn't call it brashness though, because the problem is Sylvanas is not brash by her nature. She's calculating. No. Yes. Like, it's hard for me to say courage like Verisa, even when they say that she's the sister of sorrow initially i'm like when she's when they she calls herself the sister of sorrow i'm like she wouldn't have anything to be sorrowful about when she's that young like later she comes to lose almost everything like she loses um the windrunner family she loses her two well she loses two sisters and then gains them back sort of like sort of but then she also loses like rowan uh but she has her two children like yeah. With those teeth from that one, the, the one comic, the way the teeth were drawn. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Nick, now, why? I had forgotten that I'd stored that and locked <laughs> that away. Uh, okay. We're not going to talk about the teeth. No, we're not. Uh, <laughs> except we already did. Um, but yeah, so the only thing I can think about when they talk about her courage is a lot of the positive emotions that go with the courage. Um, like the love and the compassion and the patience. Um, because they, they talk about that a lot when she's trying to catch the fish. And that's what she's telling Verisa is like, you have to be patient. You have to be still. You have to like give this fish love. Although what's interesting is when she's holding the fish, it starts like gasping for air. And it's Verisa that says, oh, you have to let it go back. Right. Like, I thought that was interesting because to me, it kind of showed like a small grain of Sylvanas where Sylvanas is willing to watch something go to a certain length. And if someone doesn't stop her, then she won't stop herself. Uh, willing, to watch, willing to watch something die. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I mean, it's not clear. 
if you know i mean and, and she it seems like oh i was just playing or whatever and she puts it back but like right. it's not clear right. how long she would have let like oh, oh, oh and it's dead oh, oh well like right like the fish is starting to struggle at that point which i just thought that that was a really interesting grain knowing sylvanas's personality right so to me it shows that there was that darker part of sylvanas there all along so when the split happens it's like the good part of sylvanas goes and the more ruthless part of sylvanas stays again though i think courage would have have to been split down the middle because i don't think that she is lacking any courage in what she does at the moment um but maybe it's just also like a lack of caring you know like uh not lack of caring again she's so calculating and so good at planning i can't think that she was not caring about the only thing the only thing i can see is that okay now they've introduced this concept of sylvanas missing her courage and Look at the uh, the end cinematic. I think the the end cinematic from nine or whatever. One of the last ones where Anduin and Sylvanas are having their little face off. Mm-hmm. Um, this is before Anduin becomes uh, you know brainwashed, and mm-hmm. he's basically like, "Look, like you're, you know." He he kind of calls her out as far as being a little bit scared of the jailer. Like you know, you're you're kind of you know you're you're doing this because you want to justify right. what you've done. You know, and even then when, when Anduin is brainwashed and she's looking at him, it's a matter like she knows, like clearly she, on, on some level, she understands what's going on here is wrong. And then you could say like, well, does she have the courage to stand up to the jailer? Right. And so I could see them setting something up here where we get her courage, give it back to her. And now she's able to fight the jailer and join us and come to our side. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's still, I don't know, that still doesn't feel... It, it still it's like it, it still doesn't feel right because it's like that's not a, like 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 clearly she's experiencing something here. I feel like this this is where that Sylvanas novel that's coming in February now, yeah, um, is so going far away, to, is going to fill in a lot of these gaps because I, I I don't know. I feel like like Christy Golden needs to be like, and Sylvanas's courage was taken from her at this moment. Like she needs to just sit there and like diagram it out, like very bluntly so like we can like because I, I i don't know it's just something something about the way this is going it, it it strikes me as odd yes um i think we're going to get a lot more i don't know if we're going to get a lot more in nine one because again i've been very spoiler free uh, i know there is stuff out there about it um i wouldn't be surprised if we learn more about what happened like you're very you're right though because that's that it's worth examining the final um, cinematic we've seen with Anduin oh, and Sylvanas. I, I, I just want to say I, I, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler here, um, but there was a cinematic data mind um, that had Sylvanas and Anduin talking. Yeah, well, I and, mean, I sure. Right. Well, no, but here's the thing. There was no dialogue. It's just the two of them, their characters with their mouths moving, and that's it. I mean, and, and people were losing their minds saying like, oh, this clearly means stuff. And it's like, no, it means nothing because the two of them are talking. (laughs) We don't know what they're saying. This is one of those where it's like, that could either be like, I could see it being one of two things. One, they've decided very smartly not to put the dialogue in until the last moment. Right. So, I mean, that's what I would guess. Right. It's not like you can read their lips. (laughs) I've no, that that would, I mean, if someone can more props to them. The other thing it could be is uh, potentially, you know, if they want to make it a silent thing where you see them talking, it's like, ah, yes, you kind of do like a, a farseer thing or you have um, uh, Tyrion, right, yeah. like, you know, do like a project into the moss sort of thing. You're like, OK, you could see them talking, but you don't know what it's about. Right. So, again, like, 
people are making way too much of I, I I get a little I get a little frustrated when people kind of go nuts for things when we have no context for them yet. Yeah, so, and, and that's um, yeah that that yeah it, it it'd be a bigger deal actually. And I think some of the sound files started getting data mine. Now the sound files. That's where the money. <laughs> that's, that's where the, the money that's is. What, that's what you want. That's the, the context. The, 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 the visuals, like, unless, you know, especially if it's just two people, like, it's literally just like headshot, headshot, headshot. <laughs> like, there's no, like, you know, there, there, there's no, 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 there's no there there. So that's funny. Mean, but anyway, we have now talked about this for well over, well over 45 minutes. Um, yes. So I guess. Uh, any, what we- any final thoughts on this story? It was a lot to unpack. <laughs> like it's a lot to unpack, and I think um, for when we're recording, nine one drops next week. Uh, so I'm hoping we'll get some more answers. That <laughs> we're not pro- getting answers. Probably we're not, not going to know. We're not going to know anything until the uh, until the jailer is defeated. I shouldn't even say dead because who knows? Who knows what the end of this expansion looks like? But presumably he's the last boss. We're not going to know any, anything until we fight him. We watch the final cinematic and we get that Sylvanas book. And up until then, it's all just going to be big question marks. I mean, it might just be forever because I mean they've been stringing us along for what like three expansions now. No, that's that's, that's like like Sylvanas' story, right? It was like Legion, and then we had. I mean, like it's been kind of like sprinkled throughout all the way, you know. Well, it, you could argue. Well, the thing is, I mean, you could argue it started after Wrath in Kata when uh, you know when when true. she jumps off Ice Crown, and then they've been build, building up the pace and whatnot. So, no, it'll it'll be interesting to see where they go with this. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's move on to the next story. What's the next story? The next story is the the Uther story, isn't it? Yes, yes. I have, I'll let you talk about. I have. I'll talk about it in a moment. You go first. What? Well, oh, okay. Um. So this one was an interesting one. Again, like after the Sylvana story, it's like, and we're going back to the normal pacing. It's like, and here is your regularly scheduled program again. Like, uh, this one is a story about Uther going out. Like they send out all of the paladins. Uh, on a journey, right? They're like, ah, yes, paladins of um, Alonsus Chapel, which for yeah. those people that don't know, Alonsus Fowl is actually a character in the game, uh, and you meet him in the Priest Order Hall. So I'm assuming that was what they were referencing. This is this is back at the founding of the, the Silver Hand, right? Yes, yes, because yes. Uther is a young man at this point. Yes, he is. With- which I was like, wow. <laughs> it's just like I always, I can only imagine him as like an older guy. So it's weird for me to try and like wind back that clock. Right. Um, but yeah, so they they decide to have all the paladins go out on a journey. They're like, we want to kind of like reaffirm your faith. We want you all to go learn something and come back, like strengthened in the faith of the light. It's kind of like a almost a coming of age as a paladin sort of deal. As at least that's how I would describe it. Um, and so they they mentioned that a whole bunch of the other really famous paladins are here. Uh, but they all strike out in different directions. They're like, okay, we're going to try and go far and away and try and see new lands and do something that will like prove us in the eyes of the light, essentially. So do some good holy deed. Uh, and when Uther is riding along, I think it was either like a, a storm, but he falls off the, his mount, which they it sounds like it's a very pretty black horse, I think they said. Not that that matters, but I was like, oh, that sounds like a nice horse. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this, is, and this is why Uther needs to be a boss in the game so he can drop that mount. <gasps> That'd be cool. <laughs> Except it needs to be like holy paladin black horse. It's like, I don't know. It's like the opposite of Blanche. Um, 
Anyway, so he falls into what I think, if I remember correctly, is like a puddle, but he starts drowning in it. Like he's like, it's it's like any of those really cool fantasy stories where you fall into a puddle and it's like deep like a lake suddenly and you just he just plunges down and he feels like he's suffocating and that he's dying. And suddenly he just like, he, you know, he kind of sees something and like the light inspires him to shoot up towards the surface and he does and he's gasping for breath and he scares the tar out of three ladies, well, two ladies. Uh, and then there's a third lady. So there are three ladies that were bathing in this lake that he suddenly uh, leaps out of. Uh, and th- it turns out that the two ladies that he frightened were handmaidens and that the, I guess, I, I don't remember if they said that she's specifically a princess, uh, but there's another lady who is, I guess, oh, what was her name? Uh, she is a lady of the land that he was at. I was trying to find her name real quick. Um... As I look for that, uh, Lady Mitharias, I think, if I didn't butcher that name. I'm really bad with fantasy names. Yeah, um, Mia, yeah Mia. A revered daughter of King Gelvin Artinas. Um, so, okay. I wouldn't quite say she's a princess, but. This is some solid fantasy here. <laughs> yeah, this, this is like Arthurian legend sort yes, of fantasy, yes. which is what it reminded me of is like the, the lady in the lake, but uh, roles are reversed a bit. Right. Um, and so he winds up going with this lady who's like, I'm not scared of you. And he's like, well, that's interesting because like I just burst out of the lake and I have no idea where I am. Uh, and he finds out that there's this tournament going on and she's like, don't participate in the tournament. Everyone dies in the tournament. I hate the tournament. I hate the bloodshed. It's terrible. And he's like, oh, well, this must be my light calling. Like, this, I need to win the tournament. And, like, the fair, fear not, fair lady. Like, I will win this. And you do not have to worry about me any longer. Like, the light will guide me. And she's kind of like, okay, like, I really don't want you to fight because everyone dies. Uh, but so the, they wind up. The, the king and the lady wind up um, putting Uther up in a tent and like giving him food. And he sits around the table with all these other valiant knights that are going to compete on uh, the next day rolls around because the tournament is only a day away, I guess. Uh, and all of these valiant knights that he was sitting with, like they were talking themselves up and talking about their great stories and all their valiant deeds. Um, they go in to this tournament and the tournament isn't fighting against each other it's fighting against this enormous beast it kind of looks like a dragon i think they call it a dragon but it doesn't look like any dragons we'd ever seen in azeroth um well well, first first they fight like random monsters just to establish that they're all heroic but uther doesn't partake no no he doesn't um and so uther so all of the knights rush in to try. It kind well, the, of a single file, but the important detail to note is that for the first part, when they're all when all the random knights are fighting the random monsters, mm-hmm. the the uh, Miatharis is like over overlooking everything and watching and reacting. Right, right. When it's time for them to fight the dragon, but well, before actually before they fight the dragon, uh, she has one last encounter with Uther. And she's like, please do not do this. He's like, no, I will, I will fight this dragon. I will defeat it and I will save right. your people and everything will be fine in the end. And she's like, you don't understand. And then she runs out crying. And he's like, what did I do wrong? Right. He's like, I, I don't understand. Yeah. Um, and so but, he but, watches. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, there's one more detail then. Yes. Then when they're all going out to fight the dragon, for lack of a better word, because it's not right. really clear if it's a dragon or not. When they're going out to fight the dragon, he notices that she's missing. Yes. That she's and that not was, there. 
Honestly, was, yeah, that was, yeah, was a tip off where you're like, oh, now I get it. I right. know where this is going. And I'm, I'm kicking myself like I should have seen this. Should have seen this coming earlier. Like, Uther, if only you read some more fantasy, you'd be picking up on this, too. Right. You'd be like, wait a gosh darn minute. This seems familiar. Yep. Uh, it, it, this one was very much written like a high fantasy tale. Yes. Um, and so Uther watches all of these Valiant Knights run in. And each one of them is graphically slain. Um, they make a pretty good job being like, oh, yeah, this one was like ripped from belly to head. And like this one was flung like in a crumpled heap. And you're like, oh, this is getting pretty graphic. Uh, and so Uther walks in there and he's like, hold on a minute. Like, I, I see. I was going to try and find the passage because they did a really good job writing it. But essentially, he's like, wait a minute. Hold on a minute. Everyone. um, Everyone has been killed, and let's see, uh, the whisper warnings of Lady Matharius return to him. The beast cannot be killed, and to raise your sword against it is to court your doom. And so he remembers this little grain of wisdom that she whispered to him, and he's like, hold on a minute, hold on. This beast, he kind of takes a good look at it, and he's like, this beast looks really sorrowful, it looks really sad. Like, he notices the shackles that are on his legs that are, like, rubbing it raw, and he's like, I don't know this world. I don't know anything about these customs. He's like, maybe this beast doesn't actually want to fight me. Like, I need to trust in the light. Like, this this feels wrong, and I don't know why, but, like, he, he actually puts down his hammer. Um, and he says, I will not raise my weapon against you, said holding his hand to his chest, feeling the light swell within him uh, and empathy without him. Uh, the beast reared for a moment, and he thought it prepared to strike him dead. But then it lay down beside him, lower than Uther's heart, uh, heart-pressed hand, and the people in the crowd went silent. So the the dragon beast actually surrenders to Uther, and that's how he wins the tournament. Uh, and then as we kind of alluded to, uh, we find out that it was indeed the lady, uh, and he finds out that the lady was transformed into this beast by her father because she ran off with a lover, which was the, the minstrel that they mentioned earlier in the tale that like they just... It is funny, like, looking back on it, like, the only time she smiled is when the minstrel, her lover, was, like, near her and singing her a song, right? Uh, and they they actually make a point of pointing that out, which I didn't even think about till now, which is pretty cool. But, uh, yes, her, her father cursed her for running off uh, with someone that she loved, and so now they're both doomed. I, I believe her, her, um, her lover, the minstrel, is also cursed in a similar fashion, if I remember correctly. Um, I don't think that he's a dragon, but they they had mentioned that he's also cursed. Um, but yes, so uh, he's like, well, that was definitely um, not a righteous thing to do. And like when he had been talking to the king, the king's like, ah, yes, go claim your prize. Uh, you need to go to the lady to get your prize. And they, I forgot to mention it earlier, but she has this pendant, this sword pendant. Um, and she's like, please don't take this from me. It's like the only thing I have left. And he's like, no, 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 you keep it. That's cool. I'm just gonna go jump in the puddle and go home. And then she's like, "Well, you know, something something bad is going to happen to you in the future. Like, try and keep this like good heartfelt moment with you to remember." Then, and when he goes back through the puddle, he essentially forgets everything that happened, and he returns to the chapel, and he's like, "I feel like I did something really righteous, but I don't remember what it was." And it was pretty funny that they're like, "Oh, well, that's good. Like, you know, that's very." paladinly righteous of you to you know go and do good like he would always try it was like a really foggy memory and he like over the years he lost more and more of whatever it was um but let's see 
was trying to remember the very last bit. Ah, yes, let's see. Uh, he would not remember more until he came to kneel on the bloodied field that was blazing with fire, ash on the wind and truth in his heart. There he saw the beast once more. With his waking empathy, he recalled the lady and her warning, but it would be of no comfort to him as his armor cracked again. So that's the last little passage we get, which is um, definitely referring to when he's killed by Arthas, uh, which we saw in that awesome cinematic. Uh, and that was it's kind of like a bittersweet note to end it on. You're like, oh man, like just sad. Okay, so now I'm gonna retell the story. Uh oh! All right, I'm, I'm gonna say what I think happened here. All right, I'm ready. Okay, so Uther and the paladins—they're all hanging out at Alonsa's chapel, and they're all dispatched to go their own way. Uther gets on his horse, goes off, rides into a storm. Horse gets scared, throws Uther from the ho- from from the horse. Uther falls to the ground, hits his, hits so that his armor gets cracked, and he hits his head on a rock. He is knocked unconscious and has this dream that he goes to this other realm. He wakes up very doozy and is like, okay, I should just go back home. And he's got glassy eyes and he gets back on the horse and the horse brings him back. And then Alonsus is like, what happened? And Uther's like, I really don't know. And he's like, okay, who's king of Lordaeron? And Uther's like, Reagan. And okay, he's like, okay, you need to go sit down, <laughs> go, get through the protocol, and then we can put you back out in the field again. <laughs> that was funnier than it should have been. <laughs> Like, this is one of those where they actually bring it up in the beginning where they're like, ah, oh, yes, this is a, a story that, like, you know, old nannies tell princes and prin- or princelings and princesses when they can't sleep, right? Like, this is clearly kind of a high fantasy uh, right. story, but it's interesting that it ha- it's like, I think like a lot of good fantasy, it might have grains of truth in it, um, but it, it, he very well might have. It might have been all a fever dream because it is one a of concussion. Those, like, he had a concussion. It, <laughs> it's like it certainly seems that way. He, he just shows up glassy eyed and he's like, I, I think I did something. And, and, and Alonso's just like, okay, just you know, just sit down. I'll we'll take care of you. Just, we'll get you like a, a cold a a cold compress or something. Yeah, don't don't, How go, many don't go to sleep. Do don't go to sleep. Just sit mm-hmm. over there. Yeah. And next time, wear a helmet. <laughs> Yeah, it's because, to be fair, the next time it didn't really help him much. No, no. Uh, no, but it, this was this this was an enjoyable story. This this felt like the kind of story I was looking for out of this book. Yes. It's, it, and I, I, I mean, and to be fair, I, I do like that every story is like a different, uh, is it, you know, every, every story is told in like a different fashion. Like it's not mm-hmm. all one kind of story. They're all, you know, they're all different, different genres. And, and this one, it just. It hits you in that fantasy, you know, like you said, the Arthurian legend. Um, it's right there. Um, but the question is, if this was not a concussion, if this happened, where did he go? That's what I was going to say. Like, where the heck did he go? Like, well, I mean, honestly, the art for the, the dragon-like creature looks a lot like a Balrog to me. <laughs> I don't see, think I he was went to middle say, It looks like, I don't know. Now I'm, now I'm trying to find the picture here. I thought it looked kind of like one of the... Uh, the in between monsters. In between monsters. They're like the uh oh what is it? The uh the, fa- the 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 creatures that we fight all over all over the Shadowlands. The Oh yeah, the, from, the, from the like the Shadow Drake things. Not the Shadow Drake, the, oh. the, the ones that eat the anima. I mean, I mean there's a lot of anima. those. No, no, but there's there's very specifically there's the one I, I know they're in Revendreth. Uh, you've got a handful of them. Oh, you mean like the the um? Yeah, but the bigger ones. There's the the okay, bigger. Yeah, 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 yeah. It does kind of, except it has wings. 
Because, um, like so the like, anima gorgers and that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. Okay. So I, I I I wonder if he didn't somehow wind up like in the in between or wherever, some some other realm outside of reality, outside of Azeroth, uh, that we'll we'll find out more about later. I wouldn't be surprised if we get this referenced again in game if we ever go to this place. But at the same time, this this See, this feels very much like a story, like as you pointed out, that it's told the young princes and princelings and is passed down through Azerothian lore. It's the time that Uther, you know, fell off his horse and went to this realm and whatnot. And so this could very well be referencing nothing. Like, like I think that's the appeal of like the concept of folk and fairy tales right. is that they're stories that don't necessarily have to have any meaning or have any weight. I and, think and so. That, and that's what struck me about the, the sister's story is that happened. Yes. That is canonical lore that Verisa went to the Shadowlands and part of Sylvanas is there. And this is not a folk lore or fairy tale. This is an actual recounting of an event. This may never actually have happened to Uther. This, right. like, we could talk to Uther, you know, wherever he is right now in, in Bastion and be like, dude, did this ever happen to you? And, and well, admittedly, he wouldn't remember it because he forgot. Right. But, you know, like, like. This could all be made up. This could be somebody of making up a story about Uther, and they they wanted they just want to tell the story, and they used Uth, Uther's fame as an excuse. That fits to me. That fits the motif of folk and fairy tales. Um, yeah. The 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 other one, not so much. Well, I was gonna say it, it's kind of similar to me, like the next one we're going to talk to talk about, where it's like this is very much it, it, like you say. It feels like it's a, a story that someone invented, like you know, kind of like, again, the Thurian legends, right? They're like, ah, yes, this is a story about King Arthur, whether or not it actually happened, no one cares, because they're, you know, he's a famous person, and he went on this journey that I want him to have. Um, it's worth noting that they talk about, like, griffins in here, so, like, they're like, ah, yes, one of the knights was on a griffin, so I'm like, okay, that, again, makes me think that it might not be a real place with real people, just because they're, it's, if it was another world or another realm, I'm like, what are the chances that they would have griffins? Um, I don't know. That was just one of those like weird things. <laughs> wow, Allie in the chat said Matherius is and she spelled it back back out. It's like I am Arthas. And I was like, I Oh I, yeah, I didn't pick up on that, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it makes sense though, because yeah, that's literally uh uh i mean that that's literally the comparison they make earlier that before mm -hmm. arthas he kneels down and, and it's the same thing and, and even then you know she's cursed arthas is, oh now now i gotta sit down and break the whole thing down again <laughs> still doesn't mean it wasn't a concussion oh gee what uh, okay, so apparently uh, Gilvan Artenis is living Terranus, and Aslan Artenis is slain Terranus. Come on! Ah. <laughs> uh. Ah. Uh, <laughs> copying from Wowhead. That made, I'm like, someone, someone had a lot of time. Uh, I mean, uh, I guess. Ellie in the chat with the run in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did not see that. Yeah, I should I have seen that, yeah. I mean, the, the Arthas part, I probably should have seen. But, geez, that's like a Lord Voldemort thing. Yeah, um, Tom Riddle and Voldemort. Uh, so, but again, it doesn't mean that this actually happened. That this no. is just a par parable for the Arthas story, okay. right? Yep, it could very well be just that. I think it is. Doesn't uh, mean we won't see them in the in between someday, though. <laughs> I mean, we're gonna see Arthas at some point. It's it's this. No, no. I mean, it doesn't mean oh, that these mean characters this. won't. Act, yeah, I mean, but yeah. Okay, now see that makes me even feel better that like this didn't actually happen. That, that somebody. Right. <laughs> 
So we're coming up on an hour. Do we want to keep going and do the other I, two? I think we we can do the other six next time. I think because they'll uh, none none of them are as meaty as uh, the Sylvanas one. But for lies and liberty. Okay, okay fine. Let's do. For, okay, no, let's no, it's okay. We can do that one no, next no, time. Do it, I, do it. Get it. It's just one of my favorites. Dead people. I see dead people all the time. I have no comeback to that except <laughs> to be like <laughs> slightly offended, but also slightly amused. Don't talk to the forsaken that way. They're good Frankly, people. That, that's how I feel about uh, how you should listen to the show. You should be slightly offended and slightly <laughs> amused. That's that's what I'm going for all the time. I would hope, like you know, some some level of impressed somewhere. They're like, oh, yes, you're pulling things really distant threads and weaving them together. I'm like, yes, that is. What no, we we're do. not. Allie's doing that. She, she's okay. copying from, from Wowhead is. for us. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but that means that someone on Wowhead did it. And Someone well, it did it first, right? That's yes, like our. Yes. Th- there are Simpsons. <laughs> shh, shh. People are going to go to Wowhead instead of us, which they probably uh, do anyway. They probably I do. do. Yeah, well, they <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving right along. Before I completely discredit us, um, this was actually one of my. <laughs> before. <laughs> okay, also, sorry. You assume Wall. we had credit. Shh. I'm making my own credit. It's like when you make your own university. <laughs> Um, so of lies and liberty was a forsaken story is a forsaken story which i'm really excited about because the we don't get a lot of forsaken stories and this one feels very similar to the uther one where it's like it might have happened it might not have happened it was kind of like a story within a story um but definitely kind of felt like it was one of those like the unjust person gets their dues at the end of the story for the deal uh so it starts out they do a great job talking about how they're welcoming new people into Undercity, these, you know, decaying corpses, and they're all level, all different levels of decaying, all different levels of confusion, which if you know anything about the Forsaken lore, they do a good job talking about that, like where they're like, yes, some of these people were, you know, under the influence of the Scourge and are still regaining their minds. Like the the main character, I would say, is uh, falls into that camp where he was a foot soldier and he was like, yeah, like, Arthas raised me and I, he still has fragmented memories like it comes back to him but it's really slow and he's like i kind of remember who i was but i don't until something jogs my memory um and they talk about you know like the forsaken are welcoming all these as i said newly risen forsaken or just newly joining forsaken into undercity uh and they kind of make a quip about how it it looks like it's essentially like a parade of the dead like they're the forsaken are very excited to have new people come uh, but it also looks kind of morbid because there's all these shambling corpses and they make all these like weird clicking noises and like they talk about their fingers dragging on the, the surfaces and you can hear it and that, that kind of stuff. Should we be listening to like My Chemical Romance while we're talking about this? <laughs> Stop it, you! <laughs> <laughs> I like the Forsaken, thank you very much. I like getting stories about them because they're always neglected. They're such an interesting... I think they're very different. Neglected, they're they're well. She's not their leader anymore, but she was their leader. She's been yeah, the focus of the game for the last three years. Yeah, but we don't get a lot of like focus on the Forsaken themselves. Like the most we've had was Battle for Azeroth, and they oh. did like a little bit for Darkshore, and then they kind of were. There was not a lot after that. Oh. Um, like they don't get a lot of their own lore and stories. They have been thankfully since um, uh, you know Sylvanas has become the center. Like before the storm. I think that's the one, if I'm remembering it correctly. But, it's almost uh, like they've been abandoned and left to take care of themselves. If only there was a word for that. 
the look I'm giving you is not impressed. <sighs> so moving right along, Nick. <sighs> Some people's kids. All right. So the main character that we follow, his name is Jeremiah. Um, and he is welcoming in uh, a handful of new Forsaken, as we said. And they kind of they almost have like a an AA circle where they're like, OK, let's go around the circle and let's talk about who we are and what we remember. Uh, like, let's say our names. And it gets to a young they, they describe him as a young man. He's caught between being a boy and be, between being a man. And it's like, well, that's what he'll be for the rest of his existence. Uh, and he, he kind of struggles. He's like, I think my name is able and they're like yeah and you know once you're forsaken like if you can't remember who you are it doesn't really matter you get to choose who you are now you get to choose your name and your identity going forward um and so they also talk about like okay well it's really helpful to go around the circle and talk about how you died like we find that that helps that's the healing process uh into kind of accepting your new existence which i thought was really cool <laughs> so i was like Super touched about, like, this AA healing circle for Forsaken. See, but, like, we were joking earlier, like, the jailer needs therapy. Like, here the Forsaken are actually giving themselves therapy. Like, clearly, like, like, some doctor was arisen, and he's like, hey, we could be doing this totally better. Let's actually kind of, like, you know, work on that. Well, that's, like, one of the the things about the Forsaken is they have, they're such an interesting and rich race i guess for lack of a better word just because they they have gone through a lot and if you read any of their stories or listen to any of their quests they actually go into good detail about this they have a good base of lore uh for a lot of this actually which is really cool Uh, but again was very touched that they were bringing all of this up in their their circle it Um, is it is interesting too though that you would think the forsaken story in here would be like the the horror story but that's what just, I love about the Forsaken. Right, but it's not. It's just no. This <laughs> is like not. a nice. This this is like a, a a kind of a war story in a way. Mm-hmm. The the horror story was the Volpira, the little yep. cute race. They're yep. the little bastards you don't want to mess with. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Again, another reason why I love Azeroth so much is the, exactly. the denizens and the races are never what you expect them to be, and they're never you know black or white. All of Azeroth is just a wealth of gray. Um, Forsaken aren't necessarily evil, which is one of the reasons I loved, um, I believe it was the Before the Storm, unless I'm thinking of the wrong one. But, you know, we get to actually follow some of the Forsaken as they try and reunite with their living family. Like, we don't get to see a lot of those things, especially in other fantasy. I'm sorry I'm going off on this little minor tangent, but Azeroth is so unique in that the Forsaken aren't inherently evil. Like, these undead creatures aren't evil, like, they have feelings, and they're kind of like, yeah, my new existence, I haven't quite accepted it and uh, it's just really very interesting in my opinion but i will get on with the story enough of me on my little soapbox here um so they go around the circle and abel's like all right or they they get to abel and they're like okay abel like you know how well how did you die and jeremiah was like ah yes like you know i had been a soldier and i was a foot soldier and that's kind of what he remembers and Abel's like they they had gone sorry I had to back up a little bit they had gone around the circle and everyone was like yeah I was forcefully enlisted uh, in the army to various extents uh, and Abel's like oh well I you know I volunteered I enlisted myself and that was really different and all the other Forsaken are kind of like wait why and he's like ah oh, well I heard these great stories that my father used to tell me about a, a figure named Captain Whitney and Whitney. Uh, is a name that Jeremiah suddenly remembers. And he's like, hold on a minute. Like, 
that that kind of sparks something in his brain. He's like, wait a minute, I remember that. Uh, and Abel tells them this very heroic story about how Captain Whitney was inspiring to all of his troops. And uh, one night when they were fighting a band of orcs, because uh, they had been entrenched, I think, in like a valley and they're going back and forth with this band of orcs. Uh, and they were low on foodstuffs, like, you know, the, the very heroic tale where it's very dire on their side. Uh, and one night, Captain Whitney's like, okay, I have a great plan. We're going to attack them from above. Like, you know, you need to remain stalwart men and you need to believe that, you know, we can get through this. Like, it's very heartfelt speech, but not like heartfelt, just almost like borderline arrogant. Like, yes, like we will persevere. And I'm trying to be very, I don't know, reassuring, but it comes off a little brash. Um, so he climbs in the catapult as the story goes and he cuts the rope and he flings himself at nighttime into the orc camp and he hits the orc leader's tent and he, he like sets it on fire and he goes around setting all these tents on fire and um, the the rest of the alliance soldiers come in and they kill all the orcs and they're victorious. Uh, and that's Abel finishes telling the story with kind of this like gleam in his now undead glassy eyes and he's like ah oh, yes like this was the story that my father wrote home to me about and it's like you know one of the stories that inspired me to do this um and i i really loved it and so uh jeremiah is like well you want to meet captain whitney because he's kind of like oh this guy is like kind of slimy and abel's like no 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 he's my hero like he's, he's such a great guy and jeremiah is starting to uh remember more and more of his story he's like no no i remember this guy being a jerk like and he when he looks at abel it's worth mentioning that he he thinks of this wooden boat and he's like i don't know what this means but i know that's connected to something like there's a memory of a friend but he can't remember what it is and all he can remember is a picture of a little wooden boat um so anyway jeremiah takes abel to go see captain whitney and <laughs> Again, uh, I love the Forsaken. So they're they're like, oh yeah, like you we'll, can usually go find him in the tavern. And Abel's like, wait, I thought that alcohol wouldn't really have any effect. And they're like, oh, it doesn't. We just kind of, you know, pretend, sort of. And so when they actually go to order drinks, they're all empty. And so they're just like knocking back air, essentially. <laughs> Which I love that little detail in the story. That was just really fun. Um, but so... Uh, Abel approaches the captain and gets him talking and he's like yeah I want to hear you recount your, your famous story the fearless flyer uh, and so Whitney of course seeing Abel's adoration starts to do the whole puff up like oh yes well. uh, and it's again also a detail worth mentioning is that uh, Captain Whitney very much looks like a, an older man like they talk about how his hair is wispy and white like he died an old man he didn't die a young man like Abel or like, um, I, I don't know that Jeremiah was young, but he was clearly not an old man when he passed. Um, and so they, they, they hit uh, Whitney talking after several air beers about his, his grand story. Right. And uh, Abel is telling it sort of, but then Whitney keeps embellishing on how great it is. Like he just keeps going over the top. Like, like, ah, oh, yes. Like, uh, when I flew into the camp, I had over half the camp, like, burning before anyone showed up. And I, they didn't say, like, I dueled the orc captain hand to hand, and then he started to flee. And then I, you know, I killed him. And then all of his people that were fleeing, I killed them, too, all by myself. Like, just grandiose, way over the top, right? 
Um, and like they're starting to draw a crowd, but a lot of them kind of don't look very impressed. Like some of them are just kind of there watching, but a lot of them are kind of silent, right? Um, and so after he goes off, Jeremiah kind of takes Abel aside and he's like, Abel, none of that happened. That's not how the story went. Abel's like, that's that can't be true. That he, you know, my father wrote me letters telling me about the story. And Jeremiah's like, no, no, this Captain Whitney, he was a horrible man. Like, I'm starting to remember, like, he did terrible things. Like, he was always belligerently drunk and he would hurt people and he would, like, I think they talk about Jeremiah actually being, like, locked essentially in a coffin for, like, talking back to him. Uh, just really, like, you know, extreme stuff. Like, um, what is it? It's not Galahad. Um... He reminds me of the general from Warcraft 3 that's being super mean to the Blood Elves. Oh, Garethos. Garethos, thank you. Yeah, I was like, he's pretty much a similar character to that. Uh, Very brash and all about himself and a drunkard and just horribly mean. Um, But essentially what Jeremiah kind of imparts upon Abel is that, you know, he killed a lot of his men and he took credit for a lot of his men's work. And like, he did get drunk that night. He got horribly, stupidly drunk and climbed into a catapult. And as he was trying to free himself, he cut the rope and flung himself into the camp. And then like, you know, a whole bunch of his troops died trying to go get him out of this camp when he just was being stupid and somehow he survived anyway. Um, but it's, I think, I don't remember if they'd say that Jeremiah died in that instance. I don't think so. But they talk about how Jeremiah is also like, hey, uh, I was trying to find his father's name, but Jeremiah actually wound up serving with Abel's father. And he's like, I know your father, like I knew him and we were forced to write these letters to, uh, you know, kind of uh, embellish all of the good things, which they were bad. And your father was actually, we think, like they implied that he was put to death for um, trying to speak up and be like, no, I, I'm going to, you know, stop writing these letters and I'm going to, you know, set the record straight about how horrible you are. Um, and Abel's at first, he's like, I, I, I don't see how that's a thing. Like, it's not real. It can't be real. It can't be true. Because then, you know, he's trying to rationalize how he may have thrown his life away for something that was a lie. Uh, <laughs> and they get to talking and essentially it comes down to Jeremiah being like, I have nothing to hide or lie to you. Like, there's no reason for me to lie to you. We're both dead. Like, there's nothing for me to gain. Like, I'm just trying to save you some of that grief. Uh, and after that, they they kind of they come to terms with that and then they come up with a plan. Because uh, originally Abel was like, oh, we should throw this grand event for Captain Whitney because he's so righteous. And, like, everyone should celebrate how good he is. Jeremiah is like, so you mentioned that earlier. Let's do that. And Abel's like, I, I don't understand. He's like, oh, you'll understand. So this is the comeuppance part of the story. So because of his hubris, right? They're like, oh, yes, let's celebrate Captain Whitney. And Whitney's like, oh, yes, let's celebrate me and how great I am. So all these forsaken kind of gather. And they're like, yeah, we're going to celebrate the, the day of your victory, which... Uh, they actually make a note in the book. They're like, this was not a- the actual day <laughs> and nobody cared. But they're like, yeah, OK. And so uh, Captain Whitney makes this big show about how great he is. And they have a catapult. And Jeremiah's like, yes, I had created the catapult down to the last detail that he could remember. Right. Like he found this destroyed catapult in the ruins of Lordaeron and he had like reconstructed it and everything like that. 
And Whitney's like, I don't know, is that is that catapult safe? And they're like, oh, yes, it's it's perfectly safe. Uh, and so as he's retelling his tale, he goes up. I think they uh, rope him up at one point, but he he goes up to stand on the catapult and they like throw ropes on him and tie him down. Uh, and he's like, what's going on? What's going on? And they're like, yeah, also, we all hate you and you killed a lot of people. And now we're going to launch you out of the catapult. <laughs> and they do they they launch him and he they they talk about it. it's like yeah no his bones they're they're not gonna, he's probably not even gonna fall all in the same place like he's gonna be dead there's no way he could make it from that fall um but and that that was a very much me i guess <laughs> um paraphrasing the story so you should definitely read it but it was definitely as i said it's the comeuppance like he gets what he deserves in the end sort of story and I yes. could see this being told in the taverns of Undercity, because that would actually be a good story as far as the Undercity goes. And a lot of them, that's, you know, the, the true death of an Undercity citizen is like the highest crime. Giving them their true death is like, you've done something so unforgivable that you have to die for the final time now. So, yes, that was one of my favorites of the four that we <laughs> read. Yes. That was very enjoyable. Yeah. That, once once you realize what's going on, you're like, oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> and then as everything fits together, you're like, I see where they're going with this. And this is, it's just a fun, uh, I mean, as fun as a tale of, of uh, mismanagement and, and, revenge. and murder can be, but it's revenge. a revenge tale. So it, it works out very well. It does. I, I guess I forgot to mention, because I brought up the boat. Um, the reason that Jeremiah recognized Abel is because his father would talk about how he was going to go home and like race these toy boats with his son. And then once he died, like that was the only thing he could remember was the toy boats. And that's how that part fit together. But that was, that was like tugging on the heartstrings a little bit. I was like, Oh no, it's so sad. I don't know. It, it was, no. it was a sad tale that had a good ending. Yes. Like, it, was a, it was a rousing tale in a way. It was, it was. Yes. I, I, I very much enjoyed that one because I, I feel like we don't get a lot of, I don't know. I would call them otter tales. Like we don't get a lot of forsaken or goblin or like, I mean, I feel like we get more like orc and like Torin and trolls, like just because they have lore that's very concrete that we know a lot about. Like we get a lot of heroic tales from the orcs, for example, uh, or like we get a lot of human tales. Um, I don't know that we get as many like dwarf tales, but my point is it's nice to hear from uh, some other races that don't often get a lot of the limelight. So right. Well, I still got... I still think the goblin one's my favorite. I'm sorry, guys. It's oh no, <laughs> it, the the goblins one's a good one. That's the thing. Reading this, like every story, I was like, that, that one's my favorite. And then I read the next one. Oh no, no, this one's my favorite. Yep, yep. <laughs> and it's like no, that would. They're all. I don't think there's really like a weak story in the group. I mean, some of them. No. The Sylvanas story, uh, the Uther story, even they're kind of meatier than the others. Necess- you know, I mean, they have yep. especially freaking names now that's pissing me off. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't see well, that on Mad Men. Yeah, um, yeah, because that, that 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 not not that that puts it in a. I mean, because they are they did kind of allude to the the similarity right. between the Arthas and but you know it's like it's was right there, but uh, no, um, I mean there, so there there's you know there there's some some meat there as far as the I guess relevance to the the ongoing story in the game, um, and and so there's more to discuss there. But I mean, all these stories are solid reads. I don't think there's a single one that I was like, oh, I'm I'm disappointed. Um, that, uh, yeah, I'm disappointed that I read that. Yeah. Next time. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so we did three this time. We'll do, we'll do five next time. We'll start with stone moss and tears. 
Um, which Allie, Allie in the chat saying I got my emotions. Yeah, that one. That, that one. Uh, there, there may have been some onions in the room when I read that one. Yep. Yep. I'd have to agree. <laughs> my gosh, darn it! Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's always a uh, always a challenge to read to, to to think you can read these books without feeling anything. Yeah, I kind of feel that way about Warcraft in general, though. You're like, no, this is going to be fine. And then I'm just like a sobbing mess uh, every time I hear the, I don't know, the. But it, it was good onions. <laughs> oh, no, it was good onions. It was good onions. I just. But we'll, yeah. we'll get to that next time. Uh, yeah, exactly, we, Allie. How yeah. dare they make me feel emotions? So this has been uh, the Torn and the Goblin number 128. Thank you to Jarrett for producing. Thank you to Kurabara for editing. Thank you, everybody in the chat room. We had Allie hanging out in the chat room. You can go check Ooh. her out on uh, Dungeon Fables and also Live, Laugh, Lore. Do and it. Also, we had uh, Academy Impossible and uh, Paulina93. So thank you all for hanging out in the chat room. We are at Torn Goblin on Twitter. Also at the MASH Network. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MASH Those Buttons. Also YouTube at YouTube.com slash MASH Those Buttons. Katie, where can people find you? You can find me, as always, on Twitter at HyruleMaster77. And I am at WookieBH on Twitter. You can also find me here on the Mash Those Buttons Network on WoW Talk, where I talk about uh, Warcraft news and guild management, and also on the Squad Goals, a Mass Effect Legendary Edition podcast. Uh, you know, so go check that out. Uh, not so much uh, not, not so much folklore and fairy tales over there. A lot more Saving the Galaxy kind of stuff, but go check that out. Join the Mash Those Buttons community on Discord at discord.me slash mash those buttons and email us your thoughts. What, which, uh, which was your favorite story? What are your thoughts on Sylvanas and uh, Courage and all that? Uh, Torn Goblin at mash.gg. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help us out, please share it and rate it if you can. And visit mtb.gg slash support to see all the ways you can support Mash Those Buttons and all our great podcasts, including on Patreon, where for as little as $1 a month, you can gain early access to content as well as to patron-exclusive content, such as my weekly WoW thoughts, where I talk about what I'm thinking about WoW for about 10 minutes each week. Also, for those in the chat room, please consider a Twitch subscription if you can. You can also check out our Humble Bundle affiliate link, as well as our PayPal one-time donation link over at mtb.gg support. And stay tuned to hear about other shows on the Mash Those Buttons Network. Our next episode is scheduled to record live at twitch.tv slash mashthosebuttons on July 14th at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Check Twitter for any updates. For Katie, I'm Nick. Ancestors watch over you. Time is folk and fairy tales, friends. Thanks for listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. If you enjoyed the show, you should check out MashThoseButtons.com and see if any of our other shows might interest you. All of our shows are available on your podcast platform of choice like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. If you enjoy our content, you can help support Mash Those Buttons by becoming a patron at Patreon.com slash MashThoseButtons, where you can receive Patreon bonuses for as little as $1 a month. You can connect with Mash Those Buttons at twitter.com slash Network, facebook.com slash buttons, or join our Discord at mash.gg slash discord. 